0: So we're a good at a good place in our practice on this particular day to talk about balance in our practice, and so I'd like to offer you the Dhamma talk on the five spiritual faculties, which actually has to do with balance. Some years ago, uh, during some personal practice for myself in Burma, I was going to give my report to our teacher, Seda Upandita. And uh, sometimes the whole report is about watching you walk into the room mindfully. And um, so that's what I was doing, walking into the room mindfully, ready to make my bows, which he would watch mindfully. And by the way, if you didn't pass a test, he would ask you to get up and go back to the door and walk in again, mindfully. So walking in, very slowly, very mindfully, doing my bows, he asked me this question. He said, what is equanimity? What is equanimity? And you know, equanimity implies balance. So I gave him a short answer that my experience was to know equanimity as a spacious balance, free of uh, the reactivity of greed or hatred or delusion. So he, I guess that was okay. He gave his usual okay sound, which was, hmm. You didn't get very many crumbs from him, but um, (laughs) but it, it was really a way that you had to learn how to be on your own. To be to notice on your own what was going on inside of you in relationship to everything. So he gave the answer, his answer to me. He said, Equanimity is like a chariot being pulled by five horses. In the lead is mindful awareness. That was a lead horse. Behind that lead horse is the first pair of horses, faith and wisdom. And behind those pair of horses were the second pair, concentration and energy. So this to him uh, was equanimity, this kind of balance. He said when faith faith and wisdom are in balance and energy and concentration are in balance, then the lead horse, which is mindful awareness, has little work, has little work. So it was really important for me to understand what is the balance between faith and wisdom? What is the balance between energy and concentration? So that there would be the, the best possibility for mindful awareness to be strong and to lead. So that's, uh, those are the five spiritual faculties, actually. Mindfulness, faith and wisdom, and also Uh, concentration and energy. So I'm going to be talking about those this evening. So when this happens, the chariot is said to be led effortlessly, smoothly, powerfully towards liberation. They call this the chariot to nibbana, the chariot to awakening, the chariot to liberation. So these are sometimes called the five cardinal virtues or the five balancing faculties, the five spiritual faculties. You'll hear these in different ways of being described. So all of these are active powers in and of themselves and we can sense them in our practice. They become stronger as practice gains momentum you will keep hearing us talk about continuity. That's how this uh, schedule is set up so that you can develop the continuity through having certain time periods when we can sit and walk together. And then in the afternoon have a time period that's more free where you can find your own balance. And we'll need to understand these five cardinal virtues to be able to balance ourselves in this practice and to find our own way, of um, our own unique way of seeing what is needed, Uh, most importantly in the afternoon times when we don't want to be wandering around but we really want to use that time wisely. So continuity of awareness is really important in our practice here together. Each one of these faculties has their own function to perform and actually they harmonize one another. So when one is strong, the others kind of are lifted up to that same strength. And uh, when one is stronger than another, you, kind of, you can kind of understand that and you can kind of maybe put more energy into one, the one that's weaker. So I'd like to read something from Bhikkhu Bodhi who who I got a lot of um, understanding from in his writings about the five faculties and so I've included them here. He says, These qualities are of humble origin appearing initially in mundane roles in the course of our everyday lives. In these humble guises they manifest as trustful confidence, that means the faith, trustful faith and confidence in higher values and in rigorous effort towards the good, in attentive awareness, in a stable concentration and as intelligent understanding. So in different um, words, he's talking about these five spiritual faculties. What happens is when they are present in our practice, and actually we develop them in our lives as well, they coordinate and corral the potentiality for the other ones to come forth and to be active as well. And so all of them can come together and uh, create an even greater strength. So they're directing our our practice towards the possibility of greater harmony, greater balance, essential for our liberation and indeed essential for our peace and happiness in in our lives, in our daily lives. So paying attention to them is really important in our practice. The Buddha points out that neither he nor anyone can bestow these upon us. They're actually... uh, qualities that need to be developed by us. Some of these qualities are stronger than others in us. Some we notice is weaker. And so when we notice the ones that are weaker, then we, we pay more attention to them. We try to nourish them more. So we keep them in balance as we go along. So it's something that um, also Bhikkhu Bodhi talked about uh with regard to these five faculties. And by the way, he's an American Theravadan Buddhist monk who edited many of the great uh, translations of the teachings of the Buddha that we have today. So he says, Left to itself without the guidance of a superior source of instruction, the mind is prey to forces that swell up from in itself, habitual forces which hold us in subjection, and prevent us from attaining our own highest welfare and genuine good. These forces are the defilements, the kilesas, the hindrances. As long as we live and act under their dominion, we're not our own masters, but we're passive pawns, driven by our blind desires into courses of conduct that promise fulfillment, but in the end lead only to misery and bondage. True freedom necessarily involves the attainment of inner autonomy, the strength to withstand the pushes and pulls of our appetites. And this is accomplished precisely by the development of these five spiritual faculties. So this is very straightforward and sobering. It, it doesn't pull any punches. It says it like it is. And it it brings about kind of the seriousness uh, of our practice. I mean, we don't have to be grimly serious, but understand how our practice can lead to the highest values which we can even imagine uh, we have. So, tonight I want to look at each factor one at a time, how one naturally is a cause of another one to arise, and then how they can all together. Uh, come together and bring a balance in our practice. So first is faith. Faith and the absence of doubt uh, can bring up forth that confidence that we can take the next step in our practice. Usually faith isn't about that we're, we're going to be able to get from this place to the top of the, the mountain of spirituality that we have as an aspiration when we really examine faith for ourselves and how it works moment to moment, day by day, hour by hour, sit by sitting, it, it means the faith to get through that time period, the faith to get through, to take that next step, to be with this moment of suffering, to be with this moment of fear, or this moment of strong attachment or grief that we feel and to be able to stay with it long enough to see some deeper value in it, the value of seeing that it it does disappear. It does bring about greater strength and wisdom for us in our lives to be able to have the faith to just stay with one thing at a time. That's why the, the Dhamma is all about being with the present moment, because this is what engenders faith. If we think it's about the faith to be totally liberated in this lifetime, well, we may have that um, tiny bit of understanding or aspiration for ourselves. But in reality, it's a faith to get from one step to another, from one breath to another, and just really staying with it. So that brings about, that kind of faith brings about the energy on our path of practice it brings about the confidence to make that effort to do that to step forth into the next moment Um, it's not this kind of forceful energy either it's a relaxed, sustainable kind of energy so we want to, all of us here who are being your spiritual friends want to emphasize that relaxation that we need to have Uh, in our practice, a relaxed, sustainable energy. Not the kind that, you know, we just kind of push forth so hard that then we have to rest a lot in order to regain our momentum. Relaxed, sustainable kind of effort. And it's a kind of effort that we know that this is going into the right direction of our practice. It's the effort to just be with the moment at a time, one experience at a time. This continuity that we're talking about, the continuity of relaxed, sustainable energy, uh, brings about mindful awareness. So this is a third quality. Faith or confidence brings about that faith to put forth the energy that our practice deserves. And then when we do that, we see that those two qualities alone, bringing uh, energy to mindful awareness to the present moment, really deepens, strengthens that quality of awareness. So these, um, these qualities that I just spoke about, when we have faith or confidence, when we can put forth energy and then mindful awareness, on changing objects because what we're practicing here is vipassana, not a insight meditation. We're practicing insight meditation, not concentration or samatha meditation. In In these five faculties, concentration in this regard is the concentration, the momentary concentration on changing objects, on changing experiences. So it's from for example, maybe starting out with a breath, to a moment of hearing, to a moment of thinking, to a moment of an emotion that arises, maybe thinking arises again, maybe back to the breath again, you can see that there can be a continuity of attention, which is a kind of concentration on changing moments. And that uh, brings forth a stability of mind. So this kind of concentration we're talking about in vipassana or insight meditation is this stability of mind we call concentration here. So that concentration is really necessary to have that steadiness and that unification of mind that gathers the mind's energy and firmly stabilizes it on one object at a time, one moment at a time. So what happens when that, when that occurs is that there is like a laser beam of lighting up that moment. And it sees that moment so profoundly, clearly, as it is, without the illusion of solidity or permanence. So I'll say more about that in the end, in the wisdom part but it sees through the illusion of permanence and solidity. And it starts to see the moment, that beam of concentration momentarily starts to see through it. It it brings about moment-to-moment realization that nothing that this beam of concentrated mindful energy is put on sees things as solid and permanent. It sees things as passing by, arising, changing, and passing away. And so what happens is the, this illusion of solidity and permanence, which is mis, a misunderstood view of kind of a sense of self that abides within or around us, is, begins to dissolve, that understanding, that misunderstanding begins to dissolve. And this is just a very shortened way of saying that wisdom begins to arise in the mind. So with these four faculties working, then wisdom begins to arise very naturally, very experientially. It isn't a view that's gotten from being read in the book or being heard about but it's being understood very experientially. I know sometimes this can be kind of a far-out understanding for a lot of us on the path who are fairly new, but um, we've all heard this, all, all four of us have heard this even way before our time that we can understand it. And when we take the teachings in and just let them kind of settle in the heart and the mind, at some point, even maybe in this retreat, or uh, at any time, these understandings become known experientially. And we we recognize them because we've heard them already. It's said that uh, one needs to actually hear the teachings to be able to have an experience that kind of matches up with what we have heard or sometimes maybe what we have read and then we realize oh that means wisdom that is a wisdom factor that's understanding life more deeply than I understood it before so even though these words may not uh, occur to you as meaning anything right now just let them settle into the heart and mind and in time that will happen if they haven't happened already so so all these factors support the experiential understanding of what we call wisdom in the in the Buddha's teachings, the wisdom of understanding deeply impermanence, not self, and the unsatisfactory nature of all of life. So all of this, when this happens, leads to greater faith in our practice, when we get any little bit of opening to understanding these factors. we get more faith. we we are able to walk the path with a degree of more confidence that if I keep going, deepening understandings will come. Um, the the dots that we get in, you know this this moment of understanding and that moment of understanding and other few that kind of, are put together, we're able to connect them and to see uh, that we have those aha moments that really lead to a deepening of that confidence and faith in our practice. So the cycle continues to become more and more powerful and each one of those factors deepens in, in their own strength in and of themselves and together as a group and in a balancing way, one to another. So it's said that when faith and wisdom are in balance with one another, and uh, energy and concentration are in balance with one another, it makes the lead horse in in this kind of um, grouping together of mindful awareness work effortlessly. And maybe some of you already, being on the path for a while, have noticed that there comes a time in the practice when you keep the continuity up in your practice. Uh, There comes a time when you you don't even... you're not even needing to be or wanting to be mindful. It just comes of its own. It's, It's called that effortless mindfulness. And so just by keeping the continuity of mindful attention, all of these qualities will naturally arise. And you'll see there'll be moments of it's just effortless. It's there whether you want it to be there or not. It's like you may think you've lost the Dharma, but the Dharma's following you around. So I'd like to fill out some of them more fully. <clears throat> so the first one about faith, um, as I mentioned Faith provides the inspiration so that we can have the intention to take that next step, to put our energy in something that we value. And it gives us the intention to aspire to something greater than we can imagine, or something greater than we've maybe aspired to before. Because as we go along in the path, we see that we can can actually open to more moments of difficulty in ourselves. We can open to moments of more suffering in ourselves and in the world. We have greater strength to do that because of our faith to keep on. And we don't give up so easily on ourselves. It fosters the, uh, the mind away from doubt. It fosters greater faith so that doubt doesn't arise. It weakens our faith. Usually it's, it's not doubt in the, in the Dharma or, or in uh, our teachers, but it's usually doubt in ourselves that we can't, we can't do it. That's what stops me a lot. But what keeps me going is when doubt does arise, there is that clear voice that comes because of experience. And you'll know your own experiences. That clear voice that says, I did this before and I can do it again. You can take the next step even when there was a lot of pain in your heart about remembering something or fearing something and you can still take that step and maybe your attention is on that fear. Your awareness, your mindful awareness is on that fear and you're still taking the next step. You're still not getting up from your seat and giving up on yourself but you're going through that moment of doubt So faith provides the inspiration to do that and plants more seeds of confidence in oneself so that one begins to see uh, that this is just that habit pattern coming again, that habit pattern of whatever that hindrance is that usually um, affects the mind and the heart. I think by this time a lot of us who have been in the practice for some time, even that we've taken a couple of retreats even, we come to know what the habit patterns are. And at first, it's really hard to see and to open to those habit patterns. But later, if you really take a look at your own practice, there are times that you'll see that, oh, this is just the habit pattern, and you're glad to see it. Because it's better to see it than not to see it. It's better to see it come up and not be lost in a deluded state of mind that we're just kind of distracting ourselves because we don't want to face it. So actually being able to face it with faith, with confidence, with that effort, with mindful awareness actually begins to weaken those moments of those habitual patterns that keep coming up. So when we see this over and over again, we begin to see that doubt goes away. The doubt in our practice goes away because we know we can do it. We can Maybe sometimes we need to give ourselves a little pep talk and hearken back to a time when we, we knew that we could get through this and we can get through it again this time. So faith is stronger. We see that it can overcome insurmountable obstacles. That's what we need faith for. And if, if we can't stay through a sitting, sometimes maybe the best faith we can have is to get up and go and walk instead of stay sitting. Um, but if we can stay with it, it's better to stay with it and, and to see just how much faith we can have. It's just not not about how much mindfulness only, but how much faith we can have. How much can we grow that uh, sustainable effort to be with the moment's experience of whatever it is that's really hurting us. Um, And if it's too hard, then move our attention someplace else. That would be skillful means. Opening to hearing, going back to the breath, standing up, opening our eyes. When it, when it gets too unbearable. If you, if you would ask our teacher when to stop being with whatever the, uh, the attention is with, you know, when, it, when it's really difficult, uh, he would say, stay with it until it's unbearable. That that's the guideline. Now unbearable can mean different things depending upon different times of the day for us. So I'm just giving you some guidelines of where how to how far to go in your practice. Go as far as you can to be with whatever you need to be with because that is what is going to dispel doubt. In it's not about, you know, believing somebody else. It's really believing that you can do the practice and dispelling that doubt. They say that I've heard said that um, actually the the um, what doubt arises from is a is really a lack of connection, connecting and sustaining to whatever you're facing, whatever is being faced. Really, it said it's it's a lack of investigation, but it's not the investigation that's trying to investigate it psychologically or even scientifically it's a lack of connecting with whatever is happening that is what brings up doubt but when you can actually touch it and really feel it sometimes I have to give myself the instruction just feel this because I'm, co- I'm constantly moving away from something and then I'm constantly having the thought I can't do this I can't do this then I have to say, just feel this, just touch this for a moment. And when that can happen, then some of the doubt begins to get dispelled. <coughs> so doubt is, is really uh, built up by a lot of the discipline that we can have by staying with things and not giving up so easily on ourselves. Um... I love this uh, quote by Martin Luther King Jr. says, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. When you don't know where it's going, and sometimes that happens to us. If I do this, will I totally crumble? You know, well, actually it doesn't happen. Um, you know, somehow we keep it together. Maybe we have a little crumbling and we need to do that, but then we start again so keep moving on on the practice not to be paralyzed by doubt so i experience faith as devotion really a devotion to what the highest my highest value is so sometimes we come to practice and we don't even know why we're here so it might be good to reflect just briefly you know in, in times when You're maybe in the evening at night uh, to reflect deeply what what is your highest devotion to your life, to your practice, to your spiritual practice. And sometimes we really have to know what that is in order to take the next step. So um, devotion is a heart quality. Faith isn't... uh, it, it doesn't come about by having intellectual wisdom. It comes about by having this heart quality to be devoted to what our highest value is. So we need to have a lot of humility and it gives us a gift of lessening pride and arrogance that we think we know it all or we we can we can do it by by will or by force. We have to have a lot of humility in this practice. We're opening to many different levels of ourselves uh, when we do this practice, and we're, we have to have the ability to say, This too belongs, as Mark was saying uh, the other evening, This too belongs. It, it always really uh, touches me when I hear that, you know, because it reminds me that the places that I deny in myself of coming close to, the the places that I abandon because I, I fear going close to it or for some reason that um, is too scary to come close to, if I can just get close to that and say, this too belongs, this is part of this mind and body continuum, can I just keep this here too. Can I just, like somebody said today in one of the groups, can I just embrace this too and say this belongs here. So to be able to face it, to touch those places in ourselves, that is what's going to give us a lot of faith. So it says that um, there are three basic areas we can have faith in, the teachings, the teacher's, and most importantly, in ourselves. So this is what I wanted to talk about mostly today, about faith, about having faith in ourselves, most of all. Um, We hear the words, ehi pasiko, come and see for yourself. And this is what uh, the Buddha would say and what Manindra, our teacher, um, my first teacher in the Dharma would say, come and see for yourself. And when I would be depending on him too much, he would say, teachers can only show the way. You have to walk it, walk the way by yourself. And he would say many different times, the Buddha solved his problem, now you have to solve yours. And it would be like, you're on your own. You know, I'm not going to do it for you. And that's been very empowering for me through the years. Not um, although I had to borrow faith from him and my other teachers a lot. um, Really, I had to depend on my own confidence in myself. So continuity can bring forth that kind of uh, faith for you. Continuity in the practice. So the second factor, I covered faith now. And the second factor is energy or effort. It's not so much the physical exertion, um, though that's part of it. We have to have that physical exertion to do this practice. But mostly it's that continuity of awareness. So here again, continuity, continuity, continuity. This is what we're emphasizing in this retreat here. It's continuity of all those qualities But mostly, if you bring forth mindful awareness, all of those other ones will will follow. So faith brings about the willingness to put forth that effort, the sustained, gentle, persevering effort that we need. And it keeps the awareness alive and balanced when we do that. It keeps the thread of that um, mindful awareness going, electrified. Electrified by this continuity so if there's one thing that i would do in practice when i uh, even though there would be other things bothering me like may, maybe i was drowsy or sleepy because of a lot of uh, hardships and and um, a lot of work in life or maybe there was restlessness because i didn't want to be with certain things or attachment or aversion if i could just keep up the continuity just stay with the schedule, or if there wasn't a schedule, if there was an open schedule, I would make a schedule for myself and just keep the continuity. It wouldn't be a, a schedule of a, a harsh thing of like, you have to sit and walk all the time. Maybe part of my schedule would be laying down and being doing laying down practice. Or part of my uh, practice would be uh, sitting outside with, uh, near the trees and with my feet on the grass so and being mindful there. So just finding a schedule for ourselves in the latter part of the day, taking part of the schedule that we have laid out for you in the morning, but in the later part of the day, finding a way that you can keep the continuity. Maybe finding some touchstones in the day where you know this part of the afternoon you're going to do this. Maybe you're going to do walking practice. and And then... Another touchstone would be um, maybe you're going to have a tea break and do drinking your tea as your practice. And maybe in the last part of the day you'll come and do the last sitting, for example. So just finding those touchstones and really being devoted to what you're doing uh, and how you're using your continuity in your practice. Remember, it's sustained, gentle, persevering effort. It's not this big push that you have to have. So keep it um, relaxed as you go along. I want to um, read something to you. And this is from one of our teachers, Utejaniya. When he was asked about effort or energy, this is what he answered. Somebody asked him, how do you understand wiriya or effort, energy? And he said, it's a, the spiritual faculty of two things, patience and perseverance together. I understand wirya as persistence, not exertion or force. Please don't wear out your mind or your body by striving forcefully when you meditate. Understanding cannot develop when your mind is tired, when your body is tired through striving can you learn something thoroughly if you start and stop the process many times? Be cool and calm about it. Be interested. There should be consistent effort without exertion, being uh, having practice in a relaxed way. So this is what he's talking about in, in having wisdom in in our practice. So not not forceful exertion, but relaxed. Uh, continuity. So faith um, brings forth effort and energy to keep going. Those are two of the spiritual faculties. The third one is mindful awareness that Deb spoke about last night and uh, just a brief um, uh, going over that. Sati is the word in Pali, S-A-T-I, for uh, awareness, mindful awareness. And in the simplest sense, it means to remember, to remember to be mindful, to remember to observe what's happening in the present moment. So, of course, it's easy when we remind you to do that. When anybody, when the teachers give guidance, yes, it's easy to follow. But to continually do that takes effort, that effort to come up with that remembering again on your own, to come up with that observing mind again on one's own effort and energy. So it means to remember to be aware. So this is what we're doing with the habit pattern of just constantly coming to remembering to be aware of whatever is happening, anything at the five sense doors, or the sixth sense door of the mind and its many different manifestations, being aware of whatever is happening in the present moment. So why is it the present moment? Because it's only in the present moment that that deep revelation into understanding life and how it really is, the Dhamma, how things are, the nature of life, that's where it can be understood in the present moment's experience. Of course, when we might uh, remember something about the past, about an an aha moment or an insight about the past, of course, that too. But really, the, the deepening and the opening to something new happens in the present moment. So that's why it's really important to come back to the present moment or to understand what that is and open to it, to name it to be clearly perceiving of it. It's said that the proximate cause for mindful attention in the present moment is clear perception. So that's why sometimes it's helpful to note, to have that uh, silent mental notation that we can have, like just feeling an in-breath, no- noting in, and feeling that out-breath, and noting out, or hearing, noting hearing. Just that 3% energy that we take to have a mental silent labeling of it, 97% of the energy isn't actually experiencing that. So being able to have that strong perception really brings about that absence of confusion, because it's really clear, and there's a fullness of mindfulness there. So when when you don't need to note, when it's already clear, then you can just notice what's happening. You don't need to make that uh, notation. So we have faith, the devotion to our practice leading to energy to keep going, leading to that mindful awareness and the fourth faculty is concentration so the this concentration that I was speaking about earlier is not that kind of practice where we're just on we're just bringing attention to one object all the time like to the breath that would be that could be a kind of concentration practice just bringing attention to the breath all the time doesn't have to be but it can be a concentration practice, or looking at a, a, a casino, what we call a, a casino, a ball of color that we imagine or that we actually see. Um, and we pay attention to that over and over again. That's samatha practice, pure concentration practice. In insight meditation, which we're practicing here, we're putting attention or mindful awareness on changing objects, so, the momentary concentration that we're putting on those changing objects produces the concentration that we need in this insight practice. And we call that um, stability of mind, when the mind can become very stable when it goes even from one object to another. So, what's the stability there is the awareness that there is momentary awareness on this object, and then there's another one. Uh, maybe there's hearing and then there's awareness of seeing and then there's awareness of the breath, of an in-breath, awareness of thinking, awareness of seeing again. So it can change. It can be very fluid and it can be very um, uh, quick and it can also be very clear. So that produces a kind of stability of mind because there's a a deep sense that this... um, Awareness is also coming up with the object, also disappearing with the object, but a continuity of the awareness that's happening is producing that stability that we really uh, thrive with in the practice. So that kind of uh, concentration is produced in this kind of insight practice that we're doing here together. So I hope that you can um, actually connect this to your own experience, to your own way of, of doing the practice. It, this doesn't have to be you know, a very heady kind of understanding. This kind of, these kinds of ways of um, experientially knowing your practice and kind of taking these understandings and relating them to what you're actually doing can help you uh, know how you're doing in your practice, to maybe evaluate where some of your practice needs more energy, more attention, and you can put it there. Because when these faculties are really developed, it produces and reveals the last of these five spiritual qualities, which is called wisdom so wisdom is, in, in the Buddhist teaching, it, it's a lot of things. It's uh, wisdom on a, a level of being um, in this relational relative part of life, the wisdom of understanding the laws of cause and effect, for example, the wisdom of understanding the importance of um, sila or virtuous conduct, virtuous speech and behavior. Or it can be the wisdom that is um, that leads to the uh, deepening understanding of liberation, and so um, Steve will be talking more about that tomorrow. But I just want to put that in a nutshell for us this evening, because this is where all the previous four spiritual faculties really lead to, and why it's so important to have a, an understanding about the the uh, power of these faculties in our in our practice here. So one of the things that uh, all of these faculties, when really practiced and are empowered, uh, come to is the deepening firsthand experiential understanding of impermanence. It's not about just understanding generally that, yeah, things arise, they, they change and they go away, like this morning is now gone. You know what we ate for for our uh, supper time, That's over now. You know, even that moment that I spoke about five seconds ago, that's gone already. So um, we just we don't know that kind of impermanence just because of seeing it in that way in kind of a very um, uh, not so deep way, but we see it in a moment of experience. When all these faculties become strong, a moment of experience sees that how a a moment of thinking, for example, just disappears, a moment of hearing, in that moment it's being seen as disappearing, or it could be seen as just arising and changing and passing away. So some of you maybe have experienced that already. But it doesn't take just one of those experiences. It takes many of those experiences for the mind to really deepen into the true, depthful, life-changing understanding of impermanence. And so uh, that deep understanding of what we call anicca impermanence starts to change one's um, view of life and it brings about the realization of the unreliability of life to produce anything enduringly satisfactory that there's it's always going to change so we can't hold on to anything and I'm not saying that from a place of fully realizing that there's still ways to go in my own practice. Um, I like what one of my teachers would say all the time, my path is not yet finished. But there's enough of it that I've gone through that I know that I can impart and maybe can be of help to others, so I do the best I can. By knowing anicca, by knowing impermanence, There's the mind also knows that it can't hang on to anything. And so when things go away, it's hard. It's hard to face, it's hard to be with. But there's kind of a poignancy that you come to that realizes that it's okay to open to this. This is just another truth that the mind and heart are opening to. And some things are harder than others. Some... Um, losses are harder than others, but eventually there's an ability to open to all of them, bit by bit. So we open to the realization of dukkha, the first noble truth that the Buddha spoke about. There is the truth of dukkha. There is a truth of suffering. There is a truth of unsatisfactoriness. So a lot of you have heard about these uh, anicca, dukkha, and the last one is anatta. So we've heard about this, but what does it really mean in terms of our practice? We read about it, we hear about it, we can, we can nod our heads and agree with it, but to know it in a way that's uh, experiential, that's a different matter. And so an, the quality, the deep experiential quality of knowledge that we understand anicca with transfers to opening into the knowledge, the deep wisdom knowledge of dukkha, of the unsatisfactory nature, these qualities, universal qualities of life. And that anicca or impermanence also opens us to the deep understanding of which is seeing through what we think is the eternalized solidity of a self. And that may be all words for us sometimes and, and don't make any sense. But we begin to see how ephemeral this sense of self that we call me or mine or who I am really is. And it's not about that we lose our sense of self on a relative level. I'll speak about that more later. But what we realize is um, this sense of self that's given us a lot of goodness in our lives has also uh, given us a lot of dukkha in our lives by really this misunderstanding we have about um, self and not-self. We start to realize uh, in the beginning People uh, start to say, talk about the interconnectedness of everything. And that's one way of realizing a sense of not self. And that's a way of kind of um, connecting us and universalizing this understanding of not self. But it can go even further than that in our practice, and where we understand that this self that we call, we've been calling from time immemorial, is made up of many different experiences. And we're coming to see, moment by moment, how ephemeral those experiences are. So that understanding of some eternalized, solidified anything begins to dissolve. So just hearing these things, taking them in understanding these universal characteristics of all of life, maybe not understanding completely or understanding in a way that's actually experientially in a deep way, we can start to take in and and just hear them sometimes. And bit by bit, we start to live into them in our lives. We start to live into the understanding of them. So it results in this ever-deepening understanding to live in harmony with all of life. Because of that kind of first opening to the understanding of not-self, that's just a first opening into it. We start to want to be in harmony with everything because we're so connected with everything. It means so much to us even more so when we go through these deep understandings to live with goodness in our hearts, to do things with a sense of benefiting all beings, to understand the laws of cause and effect, and really to pay attention to karma. And so uh, we learn to live in a way with life that's um, non-harming, and in harmony. So it it gives us a greater sense of this self that exists on this relative level. A greater sense of planting wholesome seeds and not planting unwholesome seeds. So, quoting again one of our teachers, uh, Utejaniya, wisdom inclines towards the good, but is not attached to it. It shies away from what is not good, but has no aversion to it. Wisdom recognizes the difference between skillful and unskillful, and clearly sees the desirability of the unskillful. So this is the result of the deepening practice uh, that we have in the opening to um, these universal qualities and the understanding of balance in our practice through the the balance of faith and wisdom, balance of energy and concentration in our practice. So I'd like to um, end with something that has to do with, with our life here and now. Not so esoteric. This is from uh, one of our... Uh, teachers who was a nun in the Theravada tradition, a German nun, she said, And since all of us have these faculties within, there is every reason to cultivate them. One finds oneself a more harmonious and balanced person with less difficulties, capable of helping others. To develop these five faculties should be a primary object in one's life the balancing of them needs to be seen as connecting the heart with the mind so let's let those words dissolve and just sit with our our hearts and our minds bodies quietly So time for a walking, and we invite you, if you have the energy, to come to the next sitting, the last sitting of the day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.